0: Welcome to the Visualize You show. I'm your host Beth Hewitt and each week on the show we'll talk about how you can live, love and visualize the life and business of your dreams. I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already so that you can learn the practical skills that will help you to do the same. Let me help you to recognize your self-worth, honor your skills and become confident being who you're always supposed to be. Now let's Get on with the show. You're listening to the very best of the Visualize You show. To celebrate my second year of podcasting, I'm counting down the top 30 episodes, celebrating my amazing guests and just how much fun I've had over the last two years. At number two, with no move from last year in the charts, is stressed out with work. So start a business you love with La Seren Edwards, part one. Welcome to the Visualize You podcast. I'm your host, Beth Hewitt. I'm a spiritual performance coach helping you go from unfulfilled to passionately living your purpose. You'll learn how to create a crystal clear vision for your life so that you can change direction with confidence and have a career or start a business that is more in alignment with your true soul's calling. Each week on the show, I'll talk about topics such as the art of visualization, scripting, manifesting, and the law of attraction. And I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already, so you can learn the practical skills that will help you do the same. So welcome to the episode of Visualize You. I'm joined today by LaSoren Edwards. LaSoren is a personality coach helping women identify and ignite the power of their personality to maximize their life and business. She's also the founder of Women Power and the UK's first and only Dr. Eric Thomas, PhD Extreme Execution Coach. She quit her job within just two weeks of being promoted to a senior uh, practitioner position, which not everyone would do, but you did. And you set up your own business, empowering women to achieve what they truly want for their lives. Welcome to the show. I'd like to start by just telling us a little bit about who you are personally and and what it was you were doing previously uh, to what you're doing today.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Beth. I'm happy to be here on the Visualise You show. The reason why I started and went into coaching really stems back to me being a teenager. When I was about 14, 15, I had no idea what I was going to do. None whatsoever. So they lumped all the teenagers that didn't know what they wanted to do and shoved us into this non-verbal test that was going to help us figure out what career we were going to choose. Wow. And we we had a list of careers we could choose from this non-verbal test that we'd taken. And of course, like teenagers do, paid absolutely no attention to it whatsoever. So with that said, I went into nursery roles, working with children, working with young people, and then working in domestic violence refuges, doing language and communication support for Bernardo various roles which all are centre and funnel towards being supportive yeah. in some form, whether it's children, families or individuals. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to me becoming a social worker, I remember I had this early childhood degree I got first class honours which was so exciting but I actually had no idea what I was going to do with this early childhood studies degree and that's when I thought I'm going to go into social work because that's more definite and I'm clear about what I'm going to do so I went into social work again you can see the thread here and I'm going Uh with this so I went into social work I've now been a social worker for 10 years and probably about six or seven years in, I was emotionally drained, I was exhausted, I was overworking, as everybody else was, I wasn't the only one, but in frontline social work, the demand is so high, the Mm -hmm. responsibility is so great, and I was just completely had enough. Um, my nan passed away a few years ago. And when I returned from bereavement leave, I said to myself, you know what, I'm being offered a senior position here. Just take it because I'll for it. And within two weeks, I was like, nah, this isn't working. I can't do this. It's too much. It was too much before my nan passed away. Yeah. And it's definitely too much now. So fast forward, uh, when I did that, I set up my business, um, I had a life coaching company, I was being asked to speak, running self-motivation workshops, written five books. The impact that I've had is not greater than social work but it's just on a different level to social work yeah so I had to return to social work because my mom actually felt ill with two aneurysms and in the height of me really kicking off my business and getting overseas clients and doing all this wonderful stuff I became a full-time carer I had to return to social work for monetary reasons of course because no one was working yeah so, after that, I was still kept my eye on the dream, continued working with clients on the side, etc. And then I came across some work. So while I was decluttering, came across this pamphlet which seemed to be linked to um, my secondary school. I was going through all this different stuff. We had a a home going away book where they write, you're the best and 100% fit. Do you remember all those kind of (laughs) teenage stuff? And it was one of those books. And I kept flicking and at the back, I came across this booklet and this booklet, I looked at it I thought, this looks really familiar. And this looks like something I had back then. I wonder what's in it now. So as I'm flicking through, it's the test that I took as a teenager (laughs) that I'd obviously just kept. So I flicked to the back of the test and the back of the test had all the information of all the careers that I'd actually taken from leaving uh, uh, school to where I am now. So on that list, you have counsellor, you have coach, you have psychologist and you have the most matched criteria was social worker. So you can imagine my face. I was absolutely mind blown. Like I took this when I was 14. I'm X amount of years now. And I've actually, without paying attention to that, still fallen into that career line. And that's where it started for me taking up the personality testing because I was like, this really works this actually works because I didn't pay attention to that whatsoever. I just thought my friends are going into nursery work. I'll just start doing a bit mm-hmm. of nursery work, see where that leads me. And it's led me into all these different careers that when I've tracked back X amount of years later, you know, over 20 years later, and I've done most of the things that are on that list.
0: So interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that that's kind of, it's a long-winded version, but I thought it's important to give you the fuller picture of how I got here, but also to track back how important when you're taking those kind of tests, they are to pay attention to the results. Because I could have been a social worker like 15 years earlier than when I... <laughs> became one and we're not changed a thousand nappies in the process (laughs) wow doing all that nursery work just
0: the chances of finding that as well at at that specific point in your life well obviously you were at a pivotal point there what was going on with your mum and and everything as well so just so interesting how that popped up at that point did it say in in your yearbook did that say bring up anything like you were going to be the the go-to girl for
1: i was always the go-to girl for advice because i was always seen as the sensible one but that's certainly not what i had in mind if what i had in mind i was going to become a singer and I loved writing music. If ever I was not in a lesson, I'd be in the music rooms. Not that uh-huh. I should always go to lesson kids, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if I was ever not in a lesson, uh-huh. after science or maths or anything like that, I'd be in the music room and I'd know that my science teacher would be like, you and you, because I'd always be a friend <laughs> called Alicia science now you know because i just loved it so i was in all the talent shows i won all the talent shows i sung everywhere i went did all the plays so that's what i thought i would go into well there's there's still
0: time isn't there
1: still there's still time i'm not a beyonce but there's still time (laughs) i don't know (laughs) but so no caring children nappies nurseries youth works no that was not on the list whatsoever
0: okay you've already talked about this a little bit but That moment when you went back after that bereavement leave and just, I can't do this anymore, I have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's an easy transition for people and sometimes it's really not. There's been times when I've been stuck in a position for a number of years just because maybe of fear or you're thinking about other people and how they would react more than actually what we need as a human being. So was there something different at that point? that made you go, actually, no, this is now or never kind of situation.
1: I know there was a lot of pressure with one of the cases that I had at the time. Mm. And we had a runaway teenager. And when you have runaway teenagers, it's an every morning thing. As soon as you walk in, you need to check what's been happening overnight. Have they returned home? You need to do all these checks and find out where they are. And it was really taking a toll. Although this teenager was absolutely fine, she was just sitting with her, sitting with her mates and not called home syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's still very worrying. you feel responsible. You feel like a parent. Well, I do certainly when I'm in that role. I carry a very high-level integrity with everyone that I work with or help support whatever phrase we use there. And what I found at that particular time is I was also looking after a student. So when I came back from bereavement leave, The whole of the social work team had four sub-teams. For whatever reason, we had an uptake in referrals coming into the service and they needed to create team number five. So they siphoned two people from the four teams into number five. So when I came back, I was in team number five. I didn't know the managers, didn't know the staff, didn't know the, the, I knew some of the colleagues through passing. But when you return from bereavement leave, there was a certain level of security Mm -hmm. that I didn't have because I was in a new team. Everything was fine in the new team, no problems there. It was a, a process to get there. So there was time to get used to it. But it was just like, right now I can't deal with any further change. And I think That was part of the tipping point, having such a high profile case where you've got senior managers, they're on the phone every day. Have you found this? Can you check that? Can you do this? Make sure of that. And when you have a case that consumes three quarters of your day and you've got another 20 cases to deal with, it does build a lot of pressure Uh and with the bereavement leave, with the changing teams, it was just like a, a small flurry of things that were happening that culminated. And I just said, you know what? That's it. And uh, yeah, within two weeks, I was promoted to senior and I went through the interview process. I did all of that. I was just like, something. It's, this is not what I want for my life I don't yeah. want to be under this pressure I don't want to feel responsible in the way that I was feeling responsible and that has something to do with the way that I manage my emotions around mm-hmm. my the way I work I'm emotive that's the way that I am but at that particular time after bereavement leave it was like I'm just going to do something that I've always wanted to do the one main catapult after all of that believe it or not was the day before my notice I phoned my friend Paula And I was like, Paula, I'm so stressed, so tired. And I was giving her the whole work rant spiel, as one does with one's friends. And she said, can you just shut up about this? And I was like, what? She said, we've been talking about this for three, four years now. You are just naturally stressed because of your job. Are you going to continue to be stressed or are you going to do something about it? what's the plan here? And I was like, I didn't really have a plan other than just to continue to be stressed tomorrow (laughs) and go through the motions tomorrow. I remember that particular night, I went to bed and I said, there is no way I'm going to continue feeling this way and not doing anything about it. I had to take responsibility. And more than anything, she was the main turning point as to how I actually said, I believe in myself. I'm going to train to be a coach. That's how we met. And I'm going to just do it. And at the time we met and we were training, that was the time I'd quit my job, had no income, had no nothing. I was just going to make it.
0: (laughs) Hi, listener. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I thought we'd just pause a moment to let you know that there is so much waiting for you at my website, BethHewitt.com where you can access free downloads, access the Visualize You free Facebook community where I go live every single week. Plus you can learn about the power of scripting, access the Visualization Vault and find out more about my membership, Visualize and Thrive. So go check it out and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Head to BethHewitt.com and I can't wait to connect with you real soon. Now let's get on with the show. What a great friend that you've got there. Do, do you think had she not said that to you at that point, that you would probably have stayed in that mindset of, I'm stressed, or do you think it was coming? It was inevitable, it was going to come.
1: I would have stayed. I had a felt sense of responsibility. Right. you you working with 25, 28, 30 families at one time. You have a responsibility to them. They've got attachments to you. Yeah. Uh, each of those families have a group of professionals that you are connected to manage each case and family so when you're saying goodbye to a social work job it's quite a it's a big deal because you're leaving a whole group of 200 plus people possibly that you're communicating with at any one time and you have to be ready to say goodbye to that as well and I think that my emotional attachment to the work that I was doing particularly at the time um, and my need to want to help which is innate within me I would have stayed. It literally took her to say, "Shut up!" And no one—not <laughs> many else is going to say that. Words do that, yeah. <laughs> not many people use those words. So when someone says it, like you do, need to listen. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, she definitely was the turning point. Even though I was at the height of that stress, I would have gone in tomorrow and went in with an enthusiastic mindset. So today is going to be better. This is what I'm going to try and do to get myself organized, or so whatever it is. I would always come up with a new way and try and pivot around the stress Mm. rather than dealing with it if that makes sense yeah it
0: does make Um, sense
1: i was trying to navigate it in the way i thought i could but it wasn't really dealing with the issue which was the job was causing me stress whilst naturally the job will and whilst naturally you will get cases that cause more stress than others it just depends what cases you're given i think the bereavement leave was a massive contributing factor because you get that wake-up call that life isn't... Because my nan passed of a heart aneurysm.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was so sudden. I was due to see her that day. I called her that day. She said, oh, I, I don't feel well. I says, okay, no problem. I'll, I'll come down. She said, but I'm going to rest first. So come a bit later. And later was too late, so to Aww. speak. And there's nothing anyone could have done about no, it. I went at that time. But she's still would have passed that day because of the suddenness of that as well when you go back to work and you're dealing with all this stuff that you just like for god's sake you've got your own stuff going on it really catapulted my mindset into thinking i've always wanted to do this and this and i can't if I'm here because my responsibility is too great, yeah. So that probably led to, in essence, the spontaneity of just saying, "Thank you, I've, I've done my time. <laughs> <I'm literally, laughs> I've done what I need to do. The student that I've trained was more than capable of handling this high-risk case with the manager in tow. I'm going to live my dream, and if it doesn't work, I can always come back and come back. Well, yeah. And and that that's, was that's, that's always that was, another job. Yeah.
0: So throughout all of that period then, and there's probably lots of them, but can you identify maybe one or two life lessons that you'd want to share with our listeners in terms of how yes. that has helped you?
1: Immediately <laughs> as you say that, do not wait. Don't wait. Mm-hmm. If you're like me and you lead with emotion and you wear your heart and you feel a sense of responsibility, that in itself can trap you in the situation that you either don't want to be in or you want to find a better way to navigate it. So it's just like taking that step to getting a therapist or a counsellor and it might take a year or two years Mm -hmm. before you make that call. That bridge of time in between is the most crucial time you'll ever have. Don't sit and think about the same thing and over and go around the mountain like I did. Yes, I had things that contributed to it that were personal But even if you took that the per the bereavement leave out of it the level of stress i was under was the same yeah so i would definitely urge the most important life lesson is do not wait that's the worst thing you could do some risks you may need to calculate leaving work in the way in which i did it yes i had a bit of money behind me i wouldn't recommend anybody just quit Mm -hmm. because you'll have standard responsibilities financial responsibilities But whatever it is, as you hear in my voice right now, you're thinking, I know I should have applied for X Factor. I know I should have gone for that audition. I know I should have hired that personal trainer because I've been overweight for years and I've been trying to get on track and I'm not, whatever that is, that's going through your mind right now. That's what you need to listen to. And you need to start listening to this podcast right now and go and do it and then come back and listen to the rest of it. Because it's the waiting that's the problem, Beth. Yeah. That's what causes all these problems. That's what elevates and increases the stress. Actually, if you just take a step back, yes, try and navigate it. Yes, you can't leave your job all the time. You might have children and families and mortgages. You have to find an alternative way. But the longer you wait to do that, the longer you're delaying the blessing, the longer you're not impacting someone else's life. I've helped hundreds of women since leaving work through my business. Those women would never have met me if I was still in the same office doing the same thing. So it's not just about you. And this is what I was saying to one of my cousins the other day. He's going through some, di- some difficult times. And I was like, when you get out of this, you have to understand this is life lesson number two. It's not about you. Yeah. And this is what we fail to, I think... By human nature, by default, we fail to remember that it's not about us. Our lives aren't just about us. We have a voice. We have impact. We don't have to be celebrities. We don't have to have 10,000 followers on Twitter or whatever's going on these days. We just need to apply ourselves to the gift that is already within us. And when people are like, oh, here we go with the gift thing, let's give you a very simple formula. The formula is... The thing that comes easiest to you is your gift. The thing that comes easiest to you is your gift. It may be really hard for someone to sit and speak the way that I'm speaking now. That's because speaking isn't their gift, but they may be able to write a killer blog that I couldn't write because speaking is my gift and writing is theirs. What comes easily to you, your talent that you have, that's what your gift is. And all you need to do is actually step over the bridge not wait and walk across the street to the other side. It's waiting for you. It's waiting there for you to meet it. And the longer you delay that, the longer you remain in the place where you don't want to be.
0: Absolutely. So many good golden nuggets in there. So first of all, in terms of the thing that comes easiest, I think sometimes because it comes so easy to us, We don't realise that is of such value to other people. So there's been times where even myself have, have maybe I won't write that blog post because clearly everybody knows how to do that. Actually, that's the thing that lots of people don't know how to do and would really get so much out of. And then the other thing I think you said, delaying the blessing, don't delay the blessing. That's so powerful that you just don't know what will open up for you when you step through that door finally and close that chapter behind you but
1: this is the key Beth the uh-huh. key is exactly that when you step into your gift that's when the doors actually open
0: uh-huh.
1: but we'll use the social work office as the example as that's what we're referring to when you're behind those four walls of the office doors aren't going to open because you're not operating within the gift
0: uh-huh.
1: I'm gifted to be a good social worker I'm gifted in the area of helping and supporting that's fine but there was more to that gift yeah And whilst that is an area of, you know, being gifted, the gift is very different. Once you step into the gift, then those doors open and that's the difference. The doors that open, even the conversation we're having now, this door would never be open if I didn't burst out of that social work office door.
0: Yeah, and I had a bust out of my... You know, office as well. So, exactly. Yeah, you just don't you just don't know where these journeys take us. Yeah. So, I was going to ask this question later on, but whilst we're talking about gifts, mm. one of the things that I'm really keen to get out for listeners to get out of this show is that we all have these skills and experiences that we amass over that period of our journey, over our careers, and I think it's really important that we are we do feel comfortable to shout about what I call our superpowers. So, are the things that people would say you? have got a particular superpower for, or even you would just like to share that you feel this is your gift to the world?
1: I love that question, it is a very intrinsic question, and I think when people probably hear that, they may think that you have several answers, and you probably do because we're Um, all gifted. You'll be gifted in cooking, writing, singing and looking after the children, that could be your thing. So we all have several, but there's one particular thread that will run throughout those gifts. And that's what we need to pay attention to. So my particular thread, it comes under the umbrella of being helpful and supportive. So you've heard me talk about being emotive and leading with a certain level of integrity and feeling a sense of responsibility. You've also heard me refer to waking up each morning and thinking, okay, I'm going to find another way to navigate this challenge. So they have a level of optimism. I have a level of motivation, self-motivation and self-belief, but that's all within me to help someone so my gift is being there for somebody supporting somebody and helping in any way i can and the best way that i can describe it is in the simplest terms it's this if we were having this podcast discussion at my home and you came to my home and i would offer you as the British do, would you like a cup of tea? I'd I would love, tea. love a cup of tea. Get a bit of duck <laughs> cotton in there, cup of tea, we'll have the tea caddy, we'll have the little tea cosy on it and do all of the jazz. But if I made that tea, I would say to you, Beth, how do you like your tea? How many sugars? would How do you like your milk? And i will be like, are you sure you want it this way or that way? i will be very specific, mm-hmm. and that's because... I like to make sure that you, are, you have it exactly the way that you would have it as if you were at home. If I put too much milk in it, I'd probably say, let me make another one. Just because I wanna make sure that you are comfortable, you're yeah. happy and we're in a position where we could have this conversation and I could be supportive or helping or what, whatever the, the reason for our discussion is. So I say all of that to say this, that it's all, for me, it's about being there for somebody. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me tick. if I give you your cup of tea exactly the way you like it i'm happy that's my reward, and that's how I know that's my gift
0: that's a a beautiful gift to have. I think we cup can all tea. learn from a cup of tea cup of tea <laughs> <laughs> Taking a good cup of tea a
1: cup of tea yeah. <laughs> a British cup of tea
0: <laughs> and a digestive biscuit and a di- of
1: course of course of course. <laughs>
0: What has been that thing then? I think we've touched on it so many times already but has there been breadcrumbs throughout your life that have been calling you to take you to where you are right now?
1: Breadcrumbs, probably not ones that I would probably refer to yet because we live life forwards and understand it backwards.
0: Yeah, when I graduated the guy who was doing like the keynote speech, he said something and you just don't take it on board. And I've heard Steve Jobs, when he did something, I think it was maybe Harvard University or maybe Yale, he said something about the, jo- the dots. You don't join the dots. Yes. you forward, you join them backwards. backwards. And I can remember sitting there as a, a new graduate and just thinking, what on earth is he going on about? <laughs> But it's so true. You don't know where you're heading off to when you graduate or when you leave school. But when you start to look back and join those dots and see where you've been, I think there's I think there's clues in that as to where you're heading next. Sometimes, so even though we don't know what's coming next, yes, you get a a feel for those themes that may potentially come up.
1: Yes, I mean, I don't necessarily believe there were breadcrumbs for me to follow. I don't feel that, and when I look back. I don't see that link just yet. The link that I do see is just the type of work Mm -hmm. and volunteering. I used to do lots of volunteering, but still do. But it's all in the vein of helping. It's all in the vein of working with people. So not helping as in being your accountant or doing your SEO or your marketing or something that's not. It has to be me interacting and talking with you on a one-to-one or group basis that's the way that i help yeah
0: so like being of service but from heart-centered really understanding that person's that's right. and needs yeah it's
1: yeah. the cup of tea
0: <laughs> <laughs> other biscuits are, are available as well yes hey friend thank you so much for listening to the visualise you show if you enjoyed this episode then why not subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you'd like to be with a chance to win 12 months access to the Visualise and Thrive Business Club Lounge, then simply tag me and the show anywhere you like on your social media. Simply use the hashtag visualize you. Show. And if you catch my eye, then you could be sitting in the lounge next month. So until next time, remember to visualize you.